but thank you for that. Thank you for that expression of love for all of us. Um, yeah, it's been a tough year, but God is good, and you're, you're part of the reason that we're feeling it. It's because of all your love for us. Um, you make it a joy to be a pastor, and so thank you for that <clears throat> on, on behalf of all of us. Um, well, I had an announcement that I was going to give. Um, I'm going to make it short now. Just a reminder, we have Holy Fire Worship Night next Friday. It'll be at our house at 7 o'clock. And it'll be in our basement because it's getting dark and cold out now. So um, we are trying to find that right balance between safety and being able to hear each other. So our basement's big enough to spread out, but we can't guarantee six feet, and we're not going to require masks. So I know that doesn't work for everybody. But if you can come, that's what it's going to look like. And the thing that we will definitely give time to prayer about is the country as we're approaching the election. We're going to do what 1 Timothy 2, 1 talks about. We're going to pray for those who are in authority. And just so we're not uh, praying for opposite outcomes, we have a, I'm going to have a sheet that's nonpartisan prayers, things that we should all be about as Christians, regardless of who you're voting for, okay? So... <laughs> That's what we're going to be doing next Friday night, if you can make it. Let us know if you're coming, though, because uh, we've got to set up seats and stuff. All right, with that, let's turn to God's Word. We are in Romans chapter 13, so turn there if you have a Bible. And what we've been walking through is how the mercies of God, how the gospel that's described in Romans 1 through 11 changes our lives as we embrace it deeply. And what we've seen so far is how it, how it affects our relationships with one another in the church. We've seen how it affects our relationship with those who are enemies, those who are hostile to us. And today in chapter 13, we're moving to how does the gospel transform our relationships with those in society? So we're going to turn to Romans 13. We're going to read 1 through 7 and then Pray for the Spirit to open our eyes to it. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. Those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed." Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you that you love us so much that you give us guidance on all areas of life. 
that you have shown us your goodness to us through Jesus Christ. You've shown us the way to, to forgiveness and to being right with you and to have you with us favorably. And then you add to that by giving us guidance about what it look like now to live in this world, this world that's got so many challenges that we're all aware of. And so thank you for what you're giving us today. Lord, open our hearts, our hearts and our eyes to hear it, to see it, and to walk in your good ways. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as you can tell from <clears throat> what we just read, this passage is about how a Christian relates to the government, to governing authorities. And I know that probably not a few of you are thinking right now, oh joy, <laughs> that's just what I wanted to talk about this morning, politics and government. I thought, I thought church is where you could get away from all of that. Well, providentially, we have this passage before us exactly at this time leading up to the election. Because we're in an environment where there is so much fear and anger about what our government is doing that we need to be able to cut through all of that and see what God has to say about it. What does the Lord say about how we relate to our government? Because every day you're bombarded with a thousand opinions about what that should look like. This passage tells us how to live as a citizen of an earthly country a country that has people in authority over you at all levels. Everything from your local homeowner association to the President of the United States. This passage is about how the mercies of God in Christ transform our attitude toward the civil government, toward what we call generically the state. And if the gospel doesn't affect how you think about that, then it hasn't done its complete work in you. Because Paul says the gospel shapes how you think about the governing authorities. And so we're going to see what it has to say. <clears throat> Paul starts with the, the main way that we're to relate to the governing authorities. In verse 1, he says, be subject to the governing authorities. That's the exhortation. That's the primary thing he wants to get across. Be subject. Submit. Recognize their authority over you. Do what they tell you to do. Obey the rules. It's that simple. It means when your HOA says, put your garbage out on Wednesday, you do it. If they say, don't paint your house this particular color, you don't do it. Uh, it means that if there's a statewide ban on, on fires, you don't have a campfire. It means you pay property tax. You pay income tax. It means you wear a mask when you're going into a public building in Colorado. Ooh, there's a controversial one. We'll come back to that. <laughs> you do what the governing authorities tell you to do. Now, I know right away there are objections. <laughs> what about when the government is corrupt? What about when the laws are bad? Do you still obey the authorities then? We'll come back and answer that question in more detail later, but for now, we need to let this exhortation stand and realize Paul was not naive about the quality of those in government. 
He had no illusions that the seats of authority would always be populated by godly and righteous people. I mean, Paul was a a Jew in that time, and he knew about Pharaoh, who enslaved God's people in Egypt. He knew about Nebuchadnezzar, who carried all the Jews off into captivity. He knew about King Herod, who killed all the baby boys in Bethlehem to get rid of the newborn king who was going to replace him. He knew what Pontius Pilate did, that he crucified Jesus. Even Paul, as a Pharisee, misused his authority to persecute the church. And yet, he says, unmistakably, be subject to the governing authorities. And to make sure we don't miss it, he repeats it in verse 5, one must be in subjection. Now, we need good reasons why we should do that. And there are good reasons, so let's see what they are. The first reason you should submit to the governing authorities is because God has placed them over you. God has placed them over you. That's unmistakable because it's repeated several times in the text. Where is this origin of authority? He says, there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Verse 2, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. Verse 4, he is God's servant. He is the servant of God. Verse 6, the authorities are ministers of God. It's almost like Paul knows this is going to be hard to believe given who governs us. But it's the unseen truth. He's not saying that the people in authority have any personal commitment to God necessarily, though that would be wonderful. He's saying that God gives people authority to govern a society. It's God's own doing that such a thing as government exists. Even Jesus acknowledged this. When he said to Pilate, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. He recognized Pilate had authority to either release him or have him crucified. And he recognized that authority as having been given to him from above, from God. God has decreed that there be order in a society and that there be some sort of authority that can enforce that order. And the fact that people that occupy those positions of authority can be wicked does not change the fact that the function itself is God-given. And that means anarchy is not the will of God. Anarchy is the absence or the non-recognition of authority, and that has its advocates today. Some would say the government itself is the source of our problems. It's not the people in the positions of authority, but it's the authority itself. And so we need to resist authority and, if possible, do away with it altogether. But Paul says whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. Even bad government is better than no government. Because without some order, a society cannot hold together. One example of that is the period of the judges of Israel. In those days, there was no king in Israel 
Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And if you read through the whole book of Judges, what you see is the decline of a nation, a once privileged and powerful nation that went down, 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 down into godlessness and immorality until you get to the end of Judges and what you have is genocide. One whole tribe of Israel wiped out, the tribe of Benjamin. They just degenerated. That's what you have if you have no governing authorities. So we submit to the governing authorities and foremost because God has instituted them. When we submit to them, we are submitting to what God has appointed. We are obeying God, not just man. And that's where the gospel makes that possible and makes it sensible. Because if you are deeply appreciated appreciative of the mercies of God, if you know yourself to be loved by God, if you know this God has sent His own Son to die on the cross for your sins, if you know that He is with you by His Spirit and will be forever, if you know these things, then you will submit to the government that that God has placed over you. Because He knows what He's doing, and He loves you. We'll come back to the question about whether or not you can trust the people that are actually over you, whether you should submit to them all the time. If they're bad, should we do it? We'll come back to that. But let's move on to the second reason Paul gives for why we submit to the governing authorities. And that is because it's in your best interest in your best interest. We learned two things about the purpose of government in this passage. Two categories, if you will. Government exists to promote good and to restrain evil. That's the two things. Promote good and restrain evil. That's God's intention for it. So if you submit because both of those, you, you submit because both of those are in your best interest. Government exists to promote good. We see that in verse 3. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. So the one who is in authority should be pleased when you do what is good. Why? Because when you do what is good, that is what governing authorities should want done. That's what they approve of. You're not a problem to governing authorities if you're fulfilling Jeremiah 29.7 and seeking the welfare of the city. That's what they want you to do. You're only a problem if you're destructive, if you're breaking the laws, if you're a danger to others. The governing authorities are God's servant for your good, it says. Government exists to promote your good and the good of society. So that can mean a whole range of things. Providing services to the disadvantaged, roads for us to drive on, utilities, commerce, all sorts of good things that the governing authorities are to be about. And so we submit to them because these things are good for us. Now, the other purpose of government is to restrain evil. And that actually gets more attention in what Paul writes here. He says in verses 3 and 4, For rulers are not a terror to bad conduct, or to good conduct, but to bad 
If you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. So the common theme there is that you'd better think twice about doing evil because God has authorized certain people to stop you from doing that and to punish you if you do. You should be afraid of breaking the law. The rulers are a terror to bad conduct. Why? Because the authorities bear a sword. And when they use it, they are carrying out God's wrath, God's punishment for wrongdoing. That punishment could be anything from fines to imprisonment or even death because a sword was an instrument that could bring death. And this involves, this whole thing involves people on many levels. There's legislators who make laws to prohibit wrongful acts. Police who are authorized to arrest criminals. Courts with the authority to determine what the sentence should be. And there's correction officers who ensure that the sentence gets carried out. All of these are governing authorities who do not bear the sword in vain. They are authorized to restrain evil and hold people accountable for wrongdoing. And we need this function of government because of the reality of Romans chapter 1. Remember what it says there about the human condition. Among other things, it describes mankind as filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife. Deceit, maliciousness, they are insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. That's the natural condition of man because of sin. So crime will always happen. Violence and injustice will always happen. And so if there is no one authorized to restrain this, to protect the innocent and punish evildoers, then society would be unlivable because the only thing that will deter some people who are filled with all manner of evil, who have murder in their hearts, who have malice in their hearts, the only thing that they will respond to is the sword. So somebody has to be authorized to wield it. And I know that police have a bad reputation right now. It's not wholly undeserved because there have been wrongful deaths. But the function that they provide to society is necessary. In some way, shape, or form, someone needs the power to restrain evil. And we all know this. For example, suppose a mom is fueling her car at the gas station and someone carjacks her and drives off with her car and her toddler is in the back seat what's she going to do she's going to call the police she wants every squad car in the whole city out there right now trying to find this guy and if he's a convicted felon who has been child trafficking she would not object to the use of force to get her child back Imagine that same situation if there's no one to call. That would be terrible. 
God has authorized certain people to bear their sword and restrain evil. And that's a good thing. Paul the Apostle was surely glad that the Roman soldiers stepped in to rescue him when the lynch mob was beating him to death. You would be glad if there's recourse when somebody steals your identity and cleans out your bank accounts. The function of government is partly why, this function of government is partly why we can obey Romans 12, 19, which says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. We can do that because God has appointed certain people to avenge you. And to carry out God's wrath, justice does not have to wait only to eternity. Justice can also happen immediately. Otherwise, we couldn't live in a society where nothing is done about evil. And God says, don't avenge yourselves. I have somebody else who's going to take care of that. And if they don't do it, remember, I will. (laughs) So we submit to the authorities because they do that for us. Here's the third reason we submit to the authorities. And it's because it's fair to those who are in authority. That comes from verses 5 to 7. Paul starts in verse 5 with this. He says, Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. So what does he mean by for the sake of conscience? Well, surely that looks back to the first reason which is that we recognize that the authorities are instituted by God. So we don't obey just because we might get punished if we don't. We do it because we want to obey God. But there's another dimension to it as well. For the sake of conscience also seems to include the realization that if I am benefiting from the work of those in authority, then it's right for me to help them do it by giving them what they need. That's what verses 6 and 7 are about. Paul says, For the same reason you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. So he says the authorities, they attend to this very thing. That means they attend to the business of governing. They restrain evil. They promote good. The NIV says they give their full time to it. Another version says they are devoted to governing. So that means some people devote all or part of their lives to restraining evil and promoting the good of society. And what do they need to do their job? Well, for one thing, they need money to do it. And that means taxes. Taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed. That's what funds government. Maybe in an ideal world, we would voluntarily do it (laughs) or find some other way to fund government. But in the real world, we need to be held accountable every April 15th to send something in or July this year. That's what funds roads, that's what funds schools, that's what funds the 911 hotline and everything else. It's what pays the salaries of people who attend to this very thing. So it is fair to the authorities to give them what they need to do their job. But it's more than just paying taxes. It's also showing respect and honor for what they do. 
He says, respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. Let's face it, leadership is hard. It's no picnic to govern an unruly people. (laughs) You will be attacked, and we see that ad nauseum right now on any media, right? To lead people is to expose yourself to criticism, to slander, and outright hostility. Those who lead us deserve our respect. They may be highly flawed individuals. They are, because they're human. But they hold a position that is worthy of respect. One instituted by God for our good. Even Paul backtracked when he responded angrily to being struck in the face. In Acts 23, 5, he said, I did not know, brothers, that he was the high priest, for it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. So conscience says we submit to the governing authorities because it's fair. It's their due. And we show them respect for their work. Now, having said all this, we have to answer the big question. Do we still submit even when the governing authorities are bad? And by bad, I mean when they do the opposite of what God wants them to do. When they promote evil and restrain or even punish good. Well, there's a lot to say about that, (laughs) more than we can say here, but we can say a few definite things, I think. Let me offer four answers to that question. First of all, the default position of every Christian is is to submit to the state. That's the default. Submit to the state. As I mentioned before, Paul was not naive about the quality of governing authorities When he wrote this, his governing authorities included the Roman Empire that had coins that deified Caesar. This was an empire that used torture and crucifixion on criminals. He wasn't naive, and yet he still says, be subject to the governing authorities. So that's our default position. We're to be like Daniel in Babylon, whom even his enemies said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Daniel followed the laws of Babylon, an ungodly regime. He was even a governing official in it himself. It was only when those laws conflicted with the higher law of God that he disobeyed which will come to soon. So we seek to be model citizens even when we are governed by those who don't share our beliefs. Number two, we work, you work for change as you are able. Work for change as you are able. We don't all have the same platform for influencing government. We don't all have the same time to do it, and it isn't our highest priority of all the things that God has given us to do. That wasn't the focus of Jesus' ministry. His disciples thought it was. They thought, hey, good, the king is here. Let's get rid of these Romans, and let's be in power ourselves. They thought it was all about political change. 
But the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. He came to die for sinners. And he's transferred that mission on to us. Go, therefore, and make disciples. That's number one. That's our priority. That's what you want to give your attention to something. Make sure it's that. But if God has given us a station in life to make a difference for public good, then we do take advantage of it. And we have models for this in Scripture. Daniel, who had King Nebuchadnezzar's ear and counseled him, he said, Break away now from your sins by doing righteousness and from your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor in case there may be a prolonging of your prosperity. So yeah, he confronted the king because he had the king's ear. He was in a position to do it. Nehemiah, who was the cupbearer to the king, got permission from King Artaxerxes to go rebuild Jerusalem. Esther, she interceded for the Jews by going into the king's chamber risking possible execution by going in uninvited, but in the process, she rescued the Jews from annihilation. Most of us don't have that kind of proximity to power, but we can do other things. One thing all of us can do is obey 1 Timothy 2, 1 and 2. Pray for kings and all who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life godly and dignified in every way. We pray, we seek the king, the true king, to influence these lesser kings so that we can live a godly life. It's no small thing. Number three, sometimes obedience to God requires disobeying the state. Sometimes obedience to God requires disobeying the state. When Peter and the apostles are ordered not to preach anymore in the name of Jesus, they said in Acts 5.29, we must obey God rather than men. Peter was working from the awareness that God is the highest authority. And so our highest allegiance is to him and to his will. The basis for Christian civil disobedience is this. We don't obey the governing authorities if they forbid if they forbid us to do what God commands or command us to do what God forbids. We don't obey the governing authorities if they forbid us to do what God commands or command us to do what God forbids. That's the rule. Let's use the state-imposed COVID restrictions on churches as an example. We've got examples of churches that are disobeying those restrictions. We've got examples of churches that are obeying those restrictions. So where does our church fall down on that? Well, we don't think, the elders, we don't think the current restrictions in Colorado forbid us to do what God commands or command us to do what God forbids. We still worship God. We still meet together, live and on Zoom. We still preach the gospel. That's our mission. Worship, grow, go. It isn't with all the freedoms that we would like. It's not ideal. We don't want it to look like this forever, but we're making it work. So our default position is to be subject to the governing authorities and obey the restrictions. That's why we wear a mask while entering this public building. That's why we social distance 
in this room. That's why we limit our in-person attendance to 50, because those are the rules. Where the rules aren't clear and they have some wiggle room, we take advantage of it. <laughs> we, we take the position of greatest freedom, like not wearing masks when we sit down in our seats. We want to do everything possible to maximize our fellowship while at the same time following what's required. Other churches, they're doing it differently. You might want us to do it differently. But that's the position we've taken as elders, and that was the position that we can have a clear conscience about both before God and before man. Maybe we'll have to reevaluate it if things change, but that's what we can do today. Here's the last thing to say about what to do when your governing authorities are bad, and this is the most important one. We trust God as the supreme governing authority. We trust God as the supreme governing authority. When when government doesn't do what it's supposed to do, when it promotes evil and punishes good, when the people filling positions of authority exalt themselves and oppress those they govern, we do what the church has done for generations under every form of government under the sun. We trust in the God who is sovereign over all governments and over all things. It's what Jesus did when he subjected himself to the governing authorities on earth. 1 Peter 2.23, when he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Jesus is our model of trusting the God who judges justly, who will right all wrongs in the end. And his example carries weight for us because Jesus himself has been exalted to the position of supreme ruler of the world. After his resurrection, he told the disciples, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. All of it. I have all of it. (laughs) The supreme ruler. Revelation 1.5 says that Jesus is the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth, who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. So think about that, fellow believers. Think about who's the sovereign, who's the supreme ruler, where, where everybody else is under him. Think about who that person is. Jesus, Son of God with the Father and the Spirit the ruler of every king, every president, every Supreme Court appointee, every governor, every member of Congress, every city council, every school board, this Jesus is the ruler over every last person who has any authority over you. And the good news is, he loves you so intensely that he freed you from your sins by his own blood shed on the cross. That's who you want in the seat of authority over you. And he is. He is. And if he loves you that much, then we can trust that whatever the earthly rulers do, whatever those governing authorities are that he has appointed, whatever they do, we know that first had to pass through the filter of divine love and divine wisdom, and that it must be, and we will find out that it is, 
the very best and right thing for us. Because Jesus will never have a moment where he goes, whoops, I missed that. I didn't see that election coming. I didn't know you lived in Aurora. Those moments never happen for God. He knows. He has established our appointed times and the boundaries of our habitation and the governing authorities over those places and times. And this supreme ruler has proven his love by freeing us from our sins by his own blood. That's, that's comforting. That's security right there. When you're seeing the noise, when you, when you're seeing, when you see all the fear, all the what-ifs, What's going to happen next? What's going to happen November? Remember, one thing that's not going to change is who the supreme ruler is. Jesus Christ, who loves you. And so, we can relax and say, okay, this isn't the best ruler that I've got in front of me. But I know that he must have some purpose for it. Didn't he have a purpose for Pharaoh? I mean, this... The children of Israel were in slavery under Pharaoh. And what do we know about that situation? In Exodus 9, 16, God said, For this purpose I have raised you up, speaking of Pharaoh, to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. God raised up Pharaoh, even though Pharaoh enslaved his people, but for a purpose that his name might be proclaimed. Same with Nebuchadnezzar. In Habakkuk 1, 6 through 9, Behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans. That's Nebuchadnezzar's people. That bitter and hasty nation who marched through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They all come for violence. Their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. And that's who he sent into Jerusalem to take them captive. Godly people, including Daniel. And yet God had a reason. So also with Pontius Pilate and the Jewish leaders who crucified Christ and persecuted the church. The disciples said in Acts 4, 27 to 28, Truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, a bunch of governing authorities, Herod, Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. The governing authorities conspired to kill Jesus, but they were ultimately doing it underneath God's sovereign plan. And it was for our good. So bottom line, when the governing authorities are bad, the most important thing to do is trust in Jesus, the supreme ruler of the world. If he loves us enough to die on the cross for us, and we can trust that whatever happens is according to some plan to do us good in the end. We submit to the governing authorities knowing that our lives are in God's loving hands, not just the hands of those who govern us. Let's pray. Lord, we need this perspective, <clears throat> and this is a hard one, because it's reality, it's in front of us. We have to apply this now. But we ask for your mercy to help us to do it. Help us to be more conscious of Jesus on the throne loving us than the people who are actually making laws right now for us. 
and to know that we're safe in your hands ultimately. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.